Good. All right, so we're going to be, I want you to find two spots, if you could. The book of John, chapter 12, and the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Uh, John, chapter 12, and Matthew 23. We're continuing our study through the book of John. We've been going slowly, but surely. Uh, The book of John is where we'll start. John, chapter 12, is where we'll start, and we'll jump to Matthew. There we go. Let me ask it again. If you're ready, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Now you're not even going to let me finish the sentence. You're like, amen, amen. All right, so I like Thanksgiving a lot. Um, Not just for the days off. It's not Turkey Day. It's Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful for it. And Thanksgiving is a time um, when we think about praising God. And it really should be every day. Uh, If we had our head on straight, it would be every day. But, you know, years ago, the leaders of our nation set aside that nationally uh, we would have a time to remember and thank the God that gave us all the blessings and all the bounty we enjoy all the time. And that's a blessing. It's a time when we say, thank you, Lord. Amen? And that's a good thing. You shouldn't have to pry that out of your lips, but it's a good thing just to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But today is going to be a time when we think about not praising God, that's a given, but the praise of God. When the Lord says to you, well done, well done. Because that's right where we are in the text. And there is coming a day when God is going to give his praise to believers who faithfully follow Jesus Christ. That day is coming. We just sang about it. Look at John chapter 12. Look at verse 42. Hey, it just happens to be the verse we're up to on this special day when we're thinking about Thanksgiving. And I said, Lord, you have a sense of humor. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, meaning Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Watch it. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, Jesus Christ was working miracles, and Jesus Christ was preaching messages, and Jesus Christ was doing all kinds of amazing stuff. And you know what? A lot of those religious Jews did believe on him, but a lot of those religious Jews lost their perspective. They were like, you know what? If we confess that we follow the Nazarene, we're going to lose our standing. We're going to lose our prestige. We're going to lose a whole bunch of stuff. We can't afford to lose all this stuff. You know what? We're just going to have to keep it quiet. You know why they lost their perspective? They were thinking about all the stuff down here that they valued so much. Their position, their power, their prestige. Go to Matthew 23. I'll show you what Jesus tells us about this crowd in Matthew 23. This is not the crowd you want to be a part of or be like. Matthew 23. Look at verse 1. A little, little ring in there. Matthew 23, verse 1. Okay? Matthew 23, 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Verse number 5. Jump to 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men. Rabbi, Rabbi. You see, these guys down here, they lost their perspective. They got so used to the good life. They got so used to the comfort. They got so used to the esteem. They got so used to the the praise that men were heaping upon them. They forgot about and fell out of love with the praise that God wanted to give them. The praise of God. And I want you to remember a few words today that all start with P. When you lose your perspective. Still ringing, just a touch. When you lose your perspective, you lose your purpose. And when you forget your purpose, you lose your passion. And when you lose that right passion, you end up risking losing God's praise. Perspective, purpose, passion, praise. Now jump to 2 Timothy, way back in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. One more verse before we pray. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Look at verse number six. There was a man who was a Pharisee. His name was Paul. He became the Apostle Paul that we often refer to him as. And the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. Just like that crowd, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. And the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee who got saved and gave up the praise of men to follow Jesus Christ. And right here in 2 Timothy 4, we see some of his last recorded words on earth. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, Paul was that Pharisee. He gave it all up. He knew his life was ending. Now look what he says in verse number 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see, Paul's at the end of his life, and he's kept the perspective. And because Paul had kept his perspective, he always knew his purpose. And because he always knew his purpose, he never lost his passion. And you know what he could say at the end of his life as Rome was getting ready to take his head off? In verse number 8, here are his dying words. He says in verse number 8, Henceforth, because I had the right perspective and knew my purpose and never lost my passion, I know I got God's praise coming to me. See verse 8, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. We just sang about it. There's coming a day. That's the day we're talking about. Listen, the other Pharisees loved the praise of men because they were looking down here. They were consumed with down here. But Paul said, you know what? I don't really have anything down here. I'm going to keep looking up there. And I'm waiting for a praise that's coming from up there, even if it doesn't come from down here. And Paul took the time sitting in that jail cell. He took the time to think about the praise of God that was waiting for him at the judgment seat of Christ up there. Are you saved? Let me hear another amen. Amen. You know what God wants to do to you when you stand before him? He wants to give you his praise. God wants to give you praise at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you going to get any? Is there any laid up for you? Oh, I hope so. Paul said, you know what Paul said about himself? He said, I'm your pattern. I'm the model you should follow. You should follow me the way I follow Christ. So if this is what Paul's thinking about, and this is what Paul's looking forward to, here's what I want to ask you now. Have you lost your perspective? Have you forgotten your purpose? Are you running dry on your passion? Are you going to risk losing the praise God wants to give you for all eternity? Are you loving and have you fallen in love with the praise of men down here instead of the praise of God that might be waiting for you up there? You know it's for you too. It's for you too. Oh, you don't believe me. Look at the rest of the verse in 8. He says, this praise, this crown, he says at the end of 8, is not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He says, God's praise is waiting for you too, Christian, if you have the passion to keep following him, because you remember the purpose that that's why you're here, because you started with the right perspective. It's all about perspective, purpose, passion, which leads to God's praise. So I just want to ask you, will you take some time today to think about the praise of God? That's the message today, the praise of God. Let's pray and we'll jump in here today a little bit. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. And Lord, there's nothing more important to you right now than how we respond to your words. So it's not because I'm speaking or I'm anybody, Lord, or anybody behind this pulpit is anybody, but your word is truth. And Lord, I want to hear what you have to say, Lord. I want it to hit my heart. I'm even sitting here as I'm talking, Lord. I'm saying, Lord, help me remember this is the word of God. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Help me, Lord to put you first and to hear what you have to say, that I might get all you have laid up for me there in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So stay right there in 2 Timothy. We're going to look at Paul a lot. And uh, I want to ask you a few questions that I I thought about, thinking about from Paul. Number one, have you forgotten? We're trying to to get our perspective right again. That's what we're going to do today. Because if we get our perspective right, 
we'll know what our purpose is. And if we know what our purpose is, we can go full tilt with the right passion and we'll know we got the praise of God waiting for us on the other side. All right. Now, number one, I see in this verse, number seven, have you forgotten that like Paul, you're a soldier if you're saved? That's what, look what he said in verse number seven. And I'm preaching to those that have called on Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're not sure if that's you, I'll plug you in. Don't worry, I'll, 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 I'll get you to understand what that means in a little bit. But I'm talking to people that have called on Jesus Christ as the forgiveness of their sins. If that's you, you're a soldier. See verse number seven, he says, the first thing Paul says, he says, I have fought a good fight. Paul's likened himself to a soldier. Paul never lost his perspective that God had chosen him to be a soldier. You know what? Paul was never in the army. Paul wasn't this guy that, you know, was walking around with bayonets on his, you know, anything like that. No, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a religious guy. And by trade, he was a tent maker, right? He wasn't exactly a guy just rolling off with an AK-47 who did like two tours in Nam. No, he was nothing like that. He was just an anybody. He was not that impressive if you saw him in, per- in person. But he said, I'm a soldier, You know what that tells me? You don't need anything, dear Christian, but a willing heart for the Lord to make you, yes, you, a soldier. You could be a Mashkina school teacher like me. You might be a construction worker with calluses on your hands. You might be a doctor or a lawyer. You might be somebody that pushes paper for a living. You might be anything among anything. I don't know who you are. God says, I don't care who you are. I could take you right now, and if you'll yield to me, I'll put you in the fight, and I'll make you a soldier for Jesus Christ. A soldier for the Lord. Woo, that's, that's amazing. Go to, second, go to uh, two chapters earlier, to chapter 2. Can you go to chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2? I'm not going to go super deep today, so no seraphim's armpits today. I'm just going to try to exhort you a little bit here. Look at 2 Timothy. Now, Paul's talking to his, his protege, Timothy. He's talking to his, his young man that was following him as he followed Christ. You know what he kept reminding Timothy and reminding Timothy and reminding Timothy? He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Hey, which is my translation of the Bible where he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know what Paul did whenever he could speak to somebody, like somebody close to him like Timothy? He would exhort those people like Timothy looking up to him to remember, hey, Timothy, you're a soldier too. It's not just me, it's you too. And you know what I'm sitting here behind this pulpit trying to say? Hey, it's not just the pastor and the deacons and the missionaries. You're soldiers too. You're in the army too. You're in the fight too. If you're saved, you are a soldier. Have you lost sight of your calling? Have you lost your perspective that you're a soldier now? If you're saved, God chose you to be a soldier now. You know that Holy Spirit that spoke through Paul in this passage wants to remind you right now of your commission, Christian? You had a battlefield commission when you got saved. God put you right on the field and said, you're in my army, let's go. Wherever you were, you're in my army, let's go. Now that's your perspective. I hope you're getting it. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me show you your purpose. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. We flip around a lot in the Bible to kind of see what God has to say. 1 Timothy 6, look at verse number 12. Here is the command. Here's what a soldier does. Here's your purpose. You see it? 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And because the Apostle Paul never lost perspective, he never forgot his purpose as a soldier. You know what soldiers are supposed to do? They're supposed to fight. They're supposed to fight. That's why he tells this young soldier, fight. Four times in the book of the books Paul writes to the church, he says, fight, fight, fight. When he's speaking about the fight Christians are called to endure, he tells us to fight because the Christian life, dear brethren, is a fight. It's combat. It's warfare. There are enemies to overcome. You looked at one in the mirror today. Your flesh is an enemy. 
It wants the wrong things. It wants to say the wrong things. It feels the wrong things. You got to keep that in check. The world is your enemy. It's antithetical to the Bible. It's antithetical to Jesus Christ. It wants everything that God doesn't want, the world. You know who else is the... You got it. The devil is your enemy. You got enemies that you're trying to overcome. Have you forgotten that it's a fight? Now, me and, me and Alan Wood back there, some of you, we used to do Taekwondo years ago. You know what? It feels good sometimes to be in a good fight. I'm not saying go, don't go get in a fight with your neighbor. But you know what? When you get in there and that, that sensei says, and you step back and boom, you get that first hit. You know what? That blood rushes through your body and you're like, oh, it's on. Yeah, let's go. Please don't throw a fist at me right now. I don't hey, Michelle, hey, Pastor. Boom. You know, I'm not saying that. But you know what? It's good. As a Christian, you shouldn't be shirking away from the fight. You shouldn't be living in some kind of dream world that this is Shangri-La down here. You're on the battlefield, and there are enemies, and God says, fight the good fight of faith because you're a soldier now. He says, endure hardness because it's not always going to be easy because everything is against you if you're trying to go for God. Now, if you want to go with the flow and just live like the world, then you're going to have an easy time. But if you want to stand for God and live for God and try to love Him, everything about the tide of this world is going to try to drown that spark out. And it'll make you forget who you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Number one, you're a soldier. Some old preacher said many years ago something very true. He said, the saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight against spiritual apathy in their Christianity. And he described us. He says, here's what most Christians do. They eat. They drink. They dress. They work, they amuse themselves, they get money, they spend money. They go through a brief round of formal religious services once or twice every week, but of the great spiritual warfare, its watchings and strugglings, its agonies and anxieties, its battles and contests, of all things, they appear to know nothing at all. Let us take care that this case is not our own. And I'm looking at some of your faces like I just started speaking a new language to you. Like, what? I thought this was mashed potato day. I thought this was like cranberry and sauce and gravy and everything. Yeah, we're going to have all that now, but i got to give you something to whet your appetite so you run out of here and go over there really fast. You're in a fight, Christian. You're in a fight. Someone's walking around like, oh, Battle, combat, warfare. Hey, I was never a soldier. I never picked up a weapon. I never had to stand on a line. I never had to go through basic. That means nothing to God. He says, hey, if you're saved, you're a soldier now. Don't be caught unaware that you're in a fight, that you're in a battle, that this world is not your home. Hey, Christian, it's a fight. It's not all fun. I know some of us are so hooked on fun. I just want it to be fun. You know, they should have changed that song. Saints just want to have fun. That's what, we we just want to have fun. Just just have fun. Fun, fun. Hey, I like to have fun too. I hope you sit back today and have a great time with friends and family and just laugh and reminisce and, and all that stuff that's good to do. But you know what? It's a fight, guys. We got a little R&R today, but there's a fight out there on our hands. You know what it says in verse number 12? It's not just a fight. It's a good fight. It's a noble fight. It's a satisfying fight. It's an invaluable fight. It's a fight that is worthy to be fought for our commander. It's a fight that is worthy to take up arms and stand for Jesus Christ. And if none of you ever want to, I'm going to stand. I want to stand. I don't want to roll over and just give up for the Savior who hung on that cross for me. It's a fight. It's a good fight. You know, some of you, don't sing it with me. You'll out yourself. Some of you will fight for your right to party. You will. If I get on your sin, you'll be ready to defend me with a hundred verses about why I could do that. I got liberty to do that. Right? If I get on something, you'll be like, well, I can do this. I can do What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? You'll fight tooth and nail so you can have your pet private, whatever it is that you want to have. But will you fight for what's right? Will you have the same zeal for the things of God? Will you have the same passion for what God has actually left you for here, Christian? You know what else he says? It's not just a good fight. Here's the last part. 
It's a fight of faith. It's an interesting fight. It's a fight of faith. It's the only fight you win when you surrender. It's the only fight where you get the victory when you submit. Some of you are trying to white-knuckle God out. You're going to grab that Bible and hold that chair, and you're going to hold God out. You're not going to move me, God. You're not going to change me, God. I'm not going to yield to you, God. If I could just get through this message, another preaching message, another convicting message, I'll be okay. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'll make it. Why are you fighting? When you wave the white flag to God, you know what you get? You win. You win. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight of yielding. You know what a good soldier does? He trusts the words of his commander, and he fights. You got some words, you got some commission, you got some words from your commander. I wonder, do you have faith in God? God tells you to do something. You think he wants what's worst for you or what's best for you? You think God wants to hurt you or help you? Who are we talking about? The one who died on the cross. The one who tasted the flames of hell. The one who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The one who said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the one we're talking about following. Why would you not have faith in your commander? He's not sending you into an ambush. He's not sending you into anything that he can't accomplish through you if you submit to him and let him give you the victory. It's a fight of faith. You know what, Paul? Go to Look at verse number 13. This is, I love this. I feel like Paul... In verse 13, stuck his finger right out at the page. If he could, he would have stuck his finger right in Timothy's face and said, hey boy, I give thee charge in the sight of God. I give thee charge in the sight of God. It's like he said, hey Timothy, I'm talking to you and God's talking to you. You're a soldier. Man up, wipe your tears and go on for God. That's what he would tell Timothy. Man up and go. You're a soldier. Fight the good fight of faith. I give thee charge. I think the Holy Spirit wants to charge you today. I think if he could, he'd reach his Holy Spirit finger up out of that page and stick it right between your eyes and say, I'm talking to you, Christian. How's the war going? How's the fight going? Are you defecting or are you standing? Are you getting pro- are you winning at all or you keep retreating? How's the fight? How's the fight? Now go back to 2 Timothy 4. I want to show you what 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. I know we challenge each other here with the Bible. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. You know what Paul said? He said, I have fought a good fight. He didn't do anything. He didn't command anybody else. I have fought a good fight. You know, Paul's perspective about his purpose gave him the passion to keep on fighting. You see what he's saying at the end of his life? Paul came to the end of his life and said, I have fought. That's his testimony. I have fought. You know what that means? I'm an English nerd. I know what that verb means in the English. It's the present perfect. It means I started in the past and I continued to the present. It means I started fighting when God put me in the battle and I didn't quit. He didn't do everything right. He sometimes made a mess, but you know what? Lord, I kept fighting and he could stare at God eye to eye without blushing and say, Lord, I have fought. He could write it down in the Bible and know he wasn't lying. Lord, I have fought. I wonder if the trumpet blew this afternoon, right after you belched your loudest burp and started feeling that, you know, turkey coma coming over you with all that, what do they call it, tryptophan, whatever it is, and you start getting like, you know, I need a nap, and you lay out on a table down there and a kid hits you with a football. You know, before that starts happening, if the trumpet blew and God says the battle's over, could you say the same thing? When God found you, Would you be able to say, hey, what were you doing? I have fought. What's your testimony, Pat? I have fought. I didn't always, you know, show you the results I wanted. Didn't always look on the outside. But Lord, I fought. I fought on my knees. I fought in my tears. I fought with my Bible. I fought to try to get people saved. I fought to try to love you. I fought against the tide. And in verse number eight, he says, like a good soldier, he says, I'm confident there's a reward that's waiting for me. He says, henceforth, there is laid up for me. I know it's there. God's not unwise to forget my work and labor of love. He says, I know it's there. He knows it's there. You know what he says in 1 Corinthians? He says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. 
You never see a guy shadow boxing on the beach or something? You know what? He's not really fighting anybody. It's a nice little exercise. Gets your core going, gets the blood pumping. But you're not really fighting anybody. He says, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, fighting the air. The enemies are real. And if the enemies are real, then the spoils are real. If the combat is real, the reward is real. So Paul says, I'm fighting, not a fake fight. I'm fighting a real fight. And if I'm fighting a real fight, God's going to reward me. God's going to take care of me. You ever been to Arlington and seen the tomb of the unknown soldier? If you've never been there, you should go there. That's, I know it's secular, but when they do that changing in the garden, that's like holy to me. That's almost holy. I know it's America, and I know it's secular, I know it's the world, but that honor, that started after World War I, they started doing that. That honor and that plaza, I went there some years ago with my kids. I stood there and wept. I didn't even know what I was going to see. They, oh, they're changing the guard. I, I got my phone out like everybody else. I started filming, and I'm crying like a baby to see the level of honor and how your pin drop you could hear. You could hear people's hearts beating. You could hear people weeping. It was dead silence as everybody stood there in attention and rapt attention while they honored the memory of this unknown soldier. And dear brother... Dear sister, I know you feel like an unknown soldier sometimes. You feel like, God, are you watching? Is anybody paying attention? Are you with me at all, Lord? Hey, Lord, are you on my side? Are you taking care of me? Don't worry. There is an honor coming that's going to, for, for you unknown soldiers, that's going to make Arlington look like an amusement park. It's going to make Arlington as beautiful and as sacred and as, as reverent as that is. It's going to make the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier look like somebody going to Burger King when you see what God has reserved and laid up for you, unknown soldiers who are willing to fight the good fight of faith for your commander. There is a praise of God that's coming that's going to make that moment down here look like nothing. And he says at the rest of verse 8, he says, not to me only. That's available to you too. And I know that's not why you fight. You don't fight. People fight for love of God and love of country. And I know that those unknown soldiers, they didn't necessarily go after it because they said, well, one day they're going to put a little candle there and try to remember me. Oh, no, that's not why they did it. But you know what? What an honor. And I know you fight for the Lord because you love him and you want to pay him back and you want to be a blessing to him the way he's been a blessing to you. But man, don't forget, there is an honor that he's got reserved for you when you change guard, when you go from here to there. Oh man, what an honor he has waiting for you. Man, is there anything in you that would like to hear your commander say, well won? Well fought, soldier. Good job, soldier. You fought a good fight. Well won. You got some victory in your family. Well won. You got some victory in your personal life. Well won. You got some victory in your community. Well won. You gained some ground for me down there, son. Well won. When, I don't, is there something in you that would want to hear that? I, I don't hope so. I hope so. Or the praise of men. Nice car. Ooh, chrome wheels. What a backyard. Oh, n- nice shoes. That's, that's all it is? Is that all there is? Or is there something else to fight for? Look at 2 Timothy 4. Keep, keep reading here. Not only are you a soldier, but he says, I have fought a good fate, a fight. I have finished my course. And that's not how you're going to feel later after you finish your plate of food. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's the fact of this. Have you lost sight of the fact that like Paul, you're running a race if you're saved. You're in a race. He says, I have finished my course. Paul never forgot that his Christian life was a race. It was a pursuit of something. It was like a track he had to run in. It was a course that he had to follow. Can you go to 1 Corinthians 9, which is to the left, just a, a handful of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Like I said, not a ton of verses, but just some truths out of them. 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 24. Have you lost sight of that fact? Have you lost that perspective that you're running? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. I know we're always running. We're running to this, we're running to that. But are you running that race? Or just the rat race? Are you running God's race? 
adjust the rat race. First and look, I'm gonna, my alarm's going to go off at 4.30 tomorrow too. And I'm going to be at the job tomorrow too. I'm with you. I hear you. I know there's stuff you got to do. I got stuff I got to cut down on my lawn for the winter and stuff like that. I didn't know the winter was going to come in November, but I got to jump ahead and do that. Right? I know, I know. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you just let everything go to pot and just sit and read the Bible all day. I'm not saying that. Don't you dare try to pull that on me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in your heart. You running a race? You running? First Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? <laughs> the people in a race, this is deep stuff. This is deep theology. People in a race run. <laughs> not just Forrest Gump. I am running. No, I, they're all running. <laughs> people in a race are running. So if you get the right perspective and you see that your life is a marathon, because it's a marathon, brethren, it's not a sprint. A lot of people do good in the beginning, but it's a marathon. It's a long-distance race for Jesus Christ. You have a purpose. You know what your purpose is as a runner? Run! Get moving. Make some progress down the track. Stay inside the lines and progress in the direction towards the goal. That's what a runner does. That's your purpose. Have you lost perspective? Have you forgotten that you're running in a race? Mm, so quiet. What did Pastor Mel say? Quieter than a turkey farm on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Appropriate bad joke for this day, right? Don't be so quiet. I mean, I hope you're thinking. I said, let's think about it. I hope you're thinking. I hope you're digesting what I'm saying, this food for thought. Hey, I got more puns if you want for you to chew on. All right? Okay? I got plenty. All right, but uh, think about it, please. He says they're running. You ever watch that New York City Marathon or any marathon or any race? Bang! The gun goes off. You know what happens when the gun goes off? Everybody starts running. The gun goes off and nobody stands around. Nobody's just like, you think you want to run? Want to try it? Oh, there's a Starbucks on the way. You want to stop there? Yeah, I'll stop there. You know, no, they all bang and they start running. Hey, Christian, I'm talking to Christians. If you're not saved here today, just sit tight. I'll get to you in just a second. But if you're saved here today, why are you wandering around aimlessly? Why are you living as if there's no purpose, no goal, no something you're supposed to go get for Jesus Christ? Why are you just like, you're like that person at the starting gate that said, bang, and you're just like sitting there. Where's everybody going? What's happening? No, God says you're running in a race. Let's get moving. Let's read through that Bible this year. Let's pray a little bit this year. Let's kind of do some things that God says are part of the course of a Christian. Let's get to church when we, you know, as we should. Let's do these things, right? This is part of the course. Are you running? Are you just, a lot of Christians just wandering. The gun went off when they got saved, and they're just like, huh, I think I'll stay here a little while. What? It's a race. You're supposed to run. And when those runners take off, you know what they do? They all stay on course. I had a guy at my job, uh, one of the bosses. He's a big guy into running. And his son actually ran in like two Olympics ago. His son is from Manalapan. Actually, he went to Manalapan High School. His name was Bobby Andrews. And uh, he's like in his late 20s now, maybe pushing 30. And he was in the 1500, I think. I forget where it was. It might have been... Forget where he's running, but you know what? He was in the semifinal heat. And you know what happened? He was running and he got bumped and he stepped out of his lane and he got back in. And you know what happened? He got disqualified from the medal round. And it was like horrible. We all felt bad. We came back in September. We talked about it. It was really, it was really tough because when you run, you got to stay on course. You're not supposed to run outside the lines. Hey, if you ever watch them running in the marathon? Bang! They're run you know what? They're all running in the same direction. They're all running towards the same finish line. They're all running in the same goal. Hey, if you're a Christian, why are you going the wrong way? Why are you running backwards? Why are you running sideways? Why aren't you running the course that God said for you to run? I'm getting a little pumped now. I'm getting my appetite going. I feel good. Do some, uh, some burpees in a second. But you know what? Where's the, if you're running, you're supposed to be running, and you're supposed to be running according to the course that God laid out for you. I never saw, bang! The, you know, one guy turns around and starts going the other way. No, you run in the direction of the goal. Because the purpose of a race is to finish 
the race. Paul said at the end of his life, I have finished my course. And can I tell you, like, like Paul, every Christian here has his or her own course to run since you've been saved. You were walking according to the course of this world before you were saved, and then you got saved. God said, boop, I'm going to put you off that path. I'm going to put you on my path. And now he says, you got your own course to run. And your course, I'm looking at a whole bunch of people today. I trust that you know Jesus Christ. Your course today is God's special path for you. The route that God has for you. The trajectory God has for you. And it's all different. That's why Paul said, my course. Guess what? Most of you are never going to preach a message. And that's okay. Most of you are never going to go on a mission field. And that's okay. Everybody's different. Some of you are never going to go through the hardships that I went through. Some of you are going to go through hardships that I've never experienced. You know what? That's okay. We're not supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves. But what God has told you to do, sir, and you to do, ma'am, that's the course you're supposed to run inside those lines. And it's different for everybody. So a course is your path, but it's something else. Because in the Old Testament... The priests would serve God in the tabernacle and the temple. And it said those priests served a course. Didn't mean they were laying turkey in front of you. They served a course. They all had an appointed time to serve God. They had this. And guess what? You all have a course. You've all got this little bit of time since you've been saved to serve God. You're not going to have forever but you got this little bit of time to serve God. Are you running his race or just the rat race? Because when you called on Jesus Christ, the gun went off and you started this marathon for Jesus Christ. Are you going to finish it? Are you going to finish it? Are you going to be like the one of many has-beens, used-to-be's in the body of Christ? Or are you going to be the one that keeps running, that keeps going, that endures all the way? You know, in every distance race, whether it's the New York City Marathon or ultra marathons that people run, in every distance race, you know what happens? There are always people who start but never finish. Some of you started recently. Some of you have been running for a long time. Are you going to finish? Are you going to finish? Hey, I know. Sometimes, you've got, sometimes you're running and sometimes you need to slow down and slow it down to a walk. Sometimes you got to just catch your breath. I get it. Sometimes you got to like, whoa, I made a wrong turn there. I got to get back on track. That stuff happens, right? I understand that. But you got to finish. The Lord is there at the finish line beckoning you with you his prize and beckoning you with his praise. You got to finish, guys. You got to finish. Because the bell's about to sound. You got to finish. You got to keep running. You got to keep running. You got to keep running. Don't quit now. Because in the Christian life, it doesn't matter so much how you start, but how you finish. You're going to finish strong. You're going to finish well. Or you're going to be caught embarrassed when he comes. You know, in the book of Galatians, I'm not going to flip there. Paul's talking to a bunch of Christians at the churches of Galatia. and And he says this statement to them that's so sad. Because they got all sideways, they got turned around, they got some bad doctrines, and they stopped following God the way they should have. And Paul says these very few words that are very powerful. He says, you did run well. Who did hinder you? So sad, right? You guys did good in the beginning. You guys were following the truth in the beginning. What happened? What happened? And I, I'm not, I, I can barely see you. I don't see good far away. The lights are in my eyes. Guess what? I don't know who I'm talking to, but can I just say this to you? What happened? You did run well. Who or what has stopped you from running your race? Who or what are you going to let stop you from running your race for Jesus Christ? Make you slow down, make you get off track. You know the passion that pushes the runner to finish strong is partly the prize that's waiting for him at the finish line. That's one of the reasons we want, just to come through that ticker tape, just to walk through that line. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24. You're still there. I left you there. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? You know, uh, as usual, some, some guy, I think his name was Evan something from Kenya, 
won the New York City Marathon. I think they, like, people from that country seem to win it every year. Their hearts beat like 10 times a minute, something like that. Their hearts are so strong. These, these guys from Kenya, these long-distance runners, right? It's like... Like their hearts are like like rock solid things. I'm like they got like a resting heartbeat of like six or something like that. Something crazy. I'm joking around, but you get what I'm saying. But you know what? In that marathon, all these people ran, but only one got the prize. But you know what he says here? Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize? He says, so run that ye may obtain. You know what the word ye means? It's not what a drunken pirate says when he sees you. He, Ye is why we have our King James Bible and love our King James Bible because our King James Bible is precise. Ye means all of you. He says, when you run a race, you might run and try, but if you're one millisecond behind the guy ahead of you, you get nothing but a participation prize. He says, Christians, run. You can all get the prize. All of you can get the prize if you run this race. That's the difference between the world's races and God's race. And Paul said, look at verse 26. He says, so run that ye may obtain. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He says, I know there is a prize waiting for me at the end of my race. Do you know that? Maybe you need to think about that. Maybe you need to meditate on that. Maybe you need to study those crowns that God's got for us in the Bible. Maybe you need to ask an older Christian, say, what was Pat talking about? There's a reward? Yeah, it didn't stop at salvation. Salvation was a free gift. But this reward that he has for you is based on what you've done and how you've run since you've been saved. You don't run to get saved. You run because God saved you and says, come on, come on, I got something else for you. Come on, come on, I just put you on the track. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. He says, so run. Paul was so sure of it, he was willing to die for it. Are you sure of it? Do you know it's there? Look at Philippians. Turn to the right a little bit. Just a few more stops here. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is another thing about the race. Philippians 2, look at verse, uh, verse 12. Philippians 2, 12. <clears throat> he says, Wherefore, my beloved, Philippians 2, 12, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. God worked salvation into you, now you've got to work it out. He gave you something for you to live out. 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's saying God has put something inside of you and God's trying to move you so that you run. He says, I sent that crazy Mishanya up there to jump around and jog around the stage up there to kind of get you excited about running. He says, run, run. Look at, he says, verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, amen, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul's coaching us and exhorting us to keep going because he's saying, hey, it's going to be worth it all when we finish. It's going to be worth it all when we finish. It's going to be worth every struggle. It's going to be worth every trial. It's going to be worth it all. He says, look, I know you think you're wasting your time, but if you give up now, it's all going to be in vain. But if you could just run, it'll be worth it all. If you just stay in the race, it'll be worth it all when we finish. Have you ever seen the end of the New York City Marathon? Oh, it's a big thing, man. They set up on that east side. I think it's around 67th Street. I think it's east side. They set up that big grandstand, and there's all these people there watching. Crowds are watching. People are cheering. The news is filming. All this stuff is going on. People got their phones out. It's a big, big deal when those people start coming across the finish line. Can you just picture it? Can you just imagine what it will be like when a Christian who has lived his life well, runs across that finish line. 
Okay, you, they make a big deal out of some guy from Kenya who ran this 26 point something mile thing. What do you think about a guy that lives, or a lady that lives 20 or 30 years, five or 10 years, and just says, you know what, Lord? I'm gonna put you first in my heart. You're worthy of that. And I just wanna have you be the Lord of my life. And I just wanna run for you and follow you. What do you think God has reserved and prepared for them that love him? I think there's going to be some shouting. I think there's going to be some cheering. I think there's going to be some, woo, people wearing the flag. People che- I think they're going to have their phones out if they had to have phones. I mean, forget about it, man. If they make a big deal out of a marathon once a year in the Upper East Side of that godless, depraved city called Manhattan, guess what? What's going to happen when you walk across the threshold of heaven? A Christian, a blood-washed child of God, who, as Pastor Mel said, is the aristocracy of heaven. When one of you come home with your battle scars to talk about and you've lived a life with a Savior and tried to follow him the best way you know how, you don't think they're going to sound the horn. You don't think they're going to blow their top. You don't think the angels themselves are going to stand and rise when some unknown soldiers cross the guard over there. Wow, man. Wow, I wish I could picture it. I wish I could feel it. It is coming. They make a big deal. You know, they make a big deal out of everyone who finishes that marathon. Man, you, even if the guy took 17 hours, they're sitting there waiting with their cup of Gatorade. And they're like, hey, all right, you did it. You're back. Well done, they say. Great job, they say. Don't you want to hear the Lord tell you in that day, hey, brother, well run. Well run. Or... Would you trade that for the praise of men? Oh, man. We really stayed up late that man. man. We really pulled ourselves out of some situation. Right, bro? Yeah, bro. Yeah. We really got blessed at that time, man. It was like unbelievable. We were like up till 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was throwing up, and it was like, oh. That's what you're going to trade it for? You're going to trade the heaven like praising you for a life well lived for some guy saying, oh, man, you really, yeah, man. Oh, she's yours? Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> That's what you're going to trade it for? That's what you're going to trade it for. Some guy saying, you know, watching you like run around like an idiot, and you're just going to praise you for all that. I don't know. I mean, I hope I make it, I hope I make it sound stupid. I hope I make it sound so dumb that you would be like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> Lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 4, finally. They told me we couldn't eat till 1 o'clock. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 2 <laughs> Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Last one. It's good to be together. Amen? And I'm saying this to exhort you to, so you get the best that God has for you. It's not for us or for me or for anything. It's that if you're not saved, we want you to be saved. We want you to know that your name's written in the book of life. You don't ever have to walk in these doors again. We just want to make sure your name is written in God's book. We don't take attendance here. I might send out an evite so I know how much turkey to buy because the Italian in me starts freaking out three days before when I see the numbers go up, right? So I had to buy a few more trays. That's different, right? That, that's, but we're not taking attendance. Nobody's in the back going, they're here, they're here, they're here, they're here. Nobody's doing that. Now, in public school, when I work, they do that, right? Because every time somebody walks in, it's dollars, it's dollars. And that's, that's, not a, that's not a shock. That's not a knock to public education. It's just every time a kid swipes in, it's like, okay, we get this money from the government. Look, you just come and stay as long as you want. That's okay. I mean, nobody's getting anything out of you being here. We just want to be a blessing to you. If you're not saved here today, I know it's hard to like reprogram the religious brain because religion is always trying to take from you get from you. I was in a religion where they sent the envelope to the house with the suggested donation punched in at the bottom. And if you didn't give it, you had to talk. Somebody pulled you on the side and said, you're not, how come when they put the basket in front of your face, you didn't put anything in there? No, we're not like that. Hey, visitors, especially, please keep your money. Don't want it. We're just here for one reason. So you know how to be saved. If you're not saved so that your sins can be forgiven. I know you're still skeptical of me. I know I would be skeptical of me too. Because you live in a world where everybody's trying to get something over on somebody. I'm not. Right? And then you just, I know you're going to have to just wait and see. But you prove the Bible true and just check it out. God wants you to be saved. Amen. That's really what he cares about. That's why we go out and preach. That's why we go stand out with a sign. That's why we're going to go take those Christmas tracks and go around all these malls over the next few weeks. Because we want people to be saved. Amen. And if you are saved, we don't want you to miss all that God has for you. 
Because this life is this. It's a vapor. And eternity is like, whoa. And I wouldn't want you to trade this for all that. Even if it means I got to upset you sometimes just to shake you up enough to think about what's real, that's it. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, the last thing. Have you lost your focus? We talked about being a a soldier. That's one perspective. Being a runner, that's another perspective. But lastly, I want to say this. Have you lost your focus that like Paul, you're supposed to be a Christian if you're saved. You're supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse number seven, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now remember, Paul's writing this in jail on death row. And it wasn't like jail today where you get like, you know, you got rights and three squares and your greens and all that stuff. You know, you know what? This is probably a seedy, gross brick wall with rats running around. Probably threw him a piece of moldy bread once every few days. And I bet Paul sitting there had to keep focusing on the fact that he'd been called to be a Christian. I'm not, this is not the end for me. This is not what it's all about. This is not where the kingdom is. This is not the be-all, end-all. This is just a little while. It's just a vapor. And if I could just make it through this, I got something great coming to me. I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm not following donkeys. I'm not following elephants. I'm not following the left. I'm not following in the right. I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to follow. Right? And a Roman prison is a great place to sharpen that perspective. Because the world just took everything away from Paul. His friends, his freedom, his stuff. He's basically just left with what he always had. God. That's all he had. That's all he had. It's a good place to sharpen your vision. And as a Christian, I could just see Paul sitting there. Can you see him? As a Christian, Paul must have reminded himself over and over again, this world is not my home. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. Must have sounded just like his Savior. Remember what his Savior said? Jesus Christ, he's arrested, which is funny, right? They arrested Jesus. You know, they, they handcuffed Jesus like he couldn't just obliterate the atoms that held their bodies together. But he comes up there and he stands in front of Pilate, and Pilate's barking at him, don't you know I got power to do this? You know what Jesus said? My kingdom is not of this world. And Paul must have said the same thing. My my. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. And he says at the end, he says, I have kept the faith. You see, because Paul had that perspective, he knew his purpose. His purpose was keep the faith. 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 faith. Brethren, and I'm preaching to me too. I'm with you. I could be sitting in the seat. I preached this message to myself a hundred times before I preached it to you. The disciples' mission is not to keep up with the Joneses. Because the Joneses always have something better than you have. The disciples' mission is not to keep impressing people with your stuff and your prestige and your this and your that. The Christian's mission is to keep the faith. That's to keep the faith. If this world is not your home... Keep those eternal spiritual truths that God has given you. Keep them precious. That's the faith. It's those things we know about God as revealed in his word. That's the faith. And Paul would keep telling people, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, stand fast in the faith. Don't move away from the faith. Remember the things that God has taught you and stay firm on those things. He would tell the Colossians in Colossians 1, continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. You know, Jesus Christ is the Savior. You know, His blood washes away your sins. You know, salvation is by grace through faith. You know, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't move from that spot when you know what God has revealed to you from his word. Because God warned in 1 Timothy 4, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Have you? 
Have you moved away from those things that God has told you and been sure with you? You know why Paul had that purpose? Paul had that perspective and he had that purpose. Because you know what Paul was? Paul was a religious zealot. And Paul had wasted his life in religion. Serving what he didn't know, serving what he thought was right. He said he was blameless. He tried, he tried, he tried. He was a Jew above Jews. I mean, he, would, he did everything he was supposed to do. As touching the law, he said, I'm blameless. But Paul had wasted his, right for, his life in religion. And the doctrines of God's word gave him for the first time a relationship with God. A real living relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder, have the truths of this book changed your life, dear Christian? Has it taken you out of something and put you in something better? Has it made you better? Has it taken, maybe you like me, spent 20 years in dead religion, serving wood and stone and the concepts of your own mind, And somebody showed you a Bible. Somebody put something on your door. Somebody left you a track. Somebody talked to you. Somebody who invited you to church. And all of a sudden, that big stone, lifeless God that you might have stared out for months and years of your life became real to you. And something came alive for you. That's why you hold it precious. That's where the passion comes from. See, Paul had a passion for the things of God because he was so thankful to Jesus Christ for saving him, for taking him out of that mess and putting him into something real, for pulling him out of the darkness and bringing him into his marvelous light. Are you thankful? As I told you, we get to Thanksgiving. Are you thankful? Go to John chapter 14. I got just two stops left. John chapter 14. Listen, brethren, there's got to be some passion If you remember and get the right perspective, you'll remember your purpose, and then you got to get some passion in there. Where does the passion come from? It comes from remembering what God took you from and what God's got ahead for you, what he did for you as a free gift. I mean, I, I think about, man, I think about Paul again. I think Paul couldn't stop thinking about that. I bet Paul was sitting there in that prison And Paul's sitting there in that prison, and he's sitting there, and he's staring at those prison walls, and he's thinking about how many Christians he sent to prison. It says he hailed them to prison. He dragged them out and got them locked up for following Jesus Christ. Man, I bet he was reminded sitting in that jail cell, how many people did I send to jail for following this same God? I bet, I bet, you know, those elders would accuse Paul of blasphemy and accuse Paul of heresy and say those things. Oh, he's blaspheming God. He's blaspheming the Bible. He's blaspheming the God of Israel. He's blaspheming our goddess Diana, all that stuff. You know, I bet Paul could just hear those things in his mind. And I bet he remembered the many saints that he compelled to blaspheme. Paul was a rough dude before he was saved, man. He was like a Gestapo. He was like, uh, he was like you know, the, 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 the black-booted Nazis. He came in there, and he dragged those Christians out, and by knife point, on the thread of their life, he said, you renounce what you believe. So when they called Paul a blasphemer, he must have said, man, the stuff I did to people. And I bet when Paul saw his death approaching, I bet he had like a rock and he just scratched those days off on the, on the wall and said, I got five days left, I got ten days left, I got three days left. However, soon before they're going to take his head off, I bet when he thought about the life they were going to take from him, he shuddered to think about the lives he'd ruined. He'd held the coats for Stephen while they stoned him to death and was consenting unto his death. Now hold your coats, boys! You bust his head! Bust that little Nazarene follower! Bust him up! And he's, holding, and he's consenting to his death. And Paul's like, you know what Paul realized in that jail cell? I deserve everything God gives me. I deserve hell. And he's got a crown waiting for me. I deserve the worst and God's got the best. And I met Paul just sit there and said, hey man, I'm loving your appearing, Lord. It's okay, Lord. It's okay. You know what that did? That stirred up that love in him. When he talked about where God took him and where God was bringing him, he didn't care that he was sitting in that jail cell. He said, man, I deserve hell, and you gave me heaven. I deserve the worst. You gave me the best. I deserve a cross. You gave me a crown. There's got to be some love in there, folks. John 14, look at verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. Verse 21, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, he's talking to his disciples, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Verse 24. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. He's saying if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have no passion to keep anything he gives you. You won't hold anything precious because it's really not that big of a deal to you. It was just like, okay, I check a different box now on my census. Now I check Christian. No, you are going to hell and God stepped in the way and delivered you. You know, one time a Pharisee saw a woman washing Jesus Christ's feet with her hair. And he just, if they knew who this woman was, Jesus wouldn't let her touch him. And And Jesus says, hey, come over here, Simon. He says, hey, Simon, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. If you got no passion, can I ask you something? Have you forgotten how much God has forgiven you? Maybe that's why you love him little and you got just a little bit of passion. You lose that perspective and you'll start loving the praise of men more than the praise of God. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Last stop, 1 Corinthians 4. You lose that perspective, you're going to forget your purpose. And you forget your purpose, your passion's going to run out, and you might lose the praise of God that he's got waiting for you. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's writing again to some Corinthians, and he says this. 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he says, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. He's making fun of them. He's like saying, you guys got it all together, but we're the ones out there getting mocked. You're strong. You're honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, verse 11, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. You know what the offscouring is? It's the stuff you scrub out the bottom of your pots. It's the stuff you scrub off the bottom of your boat. He says, you know what the world looks at us like? Filth. They look at us like refuse, like dirt. They just want to wash away. These are the people giving their lives to Jesus Christ saying this. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, man. He was up here. They called him rabbi. They greeted him in the marketplaces. They they esteemed him highly. And he said, you know what? I'm going to become a fool. For Christ, I'm going to put myself down as low as I can that he might be lifted up. You might say, you're crazy, Paul. You're crazy. He said, no, I'm not crazy because I know if I put myself down for him, he's going to give me a crown and lift me up higher than anybody else. A praise way beyond the praise of God. A praise way beyond the praise of God. Do you care more about what men think of you than what God thinks of you? Some of you have actually convinced yourself that, you know, the job is it, and this is it, and that. You've you've convinced yourself. You really think that's it. And you might be in for a shocker. You might be in for a shocker. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. That's who we are. And stewards of the mysteries of God. God gave us some truth about him. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. You see, those carnal Corinthians, they looked down on Paul. They said, Paul, you're a fanatic. You're crazy, Paul. Maybe that's how you're looking at this right now. Pat, you're a fanatic. I don't think so. I feel like the a wretch, right? Paul, you're a fanatic. You're crazy. Paul says, you know what he says? I don't really care what you think about me. You don't judge me. I don't even judge me. God judges me. 
right? He's not trying to be a jerk. He's just saying, I got to get my perspective. Whose praise am I really seeking here? And in verse number five, he says this, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, because he's coming, <laughs> who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. He's not talking about every man. He's talking about every man who's like him. Paul knew if he could just be faithful, if he kept the faith, God was going to praise him. And when Jesus comes, because he's coming, the Bible's coming true. It's coming. You know, when Jesus comes, every man who's been faithful like Paul, every man who's kept the faith will hear God praise him at the judgment seat of Christ. Wow. May God just let us understand what that's like. If we can get that perspective it would, it would get us on our right purpose. It would fill us with passion. And that praise would be amazing, man. I know they might mock you now. Even some Christians might mock you now. They might call you a fanatic. They might call you a holy roller. They might say, no, 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 you're too much. But God will praise you later. And it's going to be better than the silver star. It's going to be better than the trophy. It's going to be better than the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's going to be greater than anything you could ever fathom. When God Almighty takes account of His servants and He sees and He measures what you've done with the treasure He's given you. Did you hide it in the earth? Or did you let it shine? Let it shine. Let it shine. And brother, man, when that day comes and we're on that judgment seat of Christ, can I tell you, all of eternity is going to resound with the praise of God. When he calls your number and you stand up there and he looked at that life and there was victories, there were failures, but it's not what you did. It's the spirit of what you did. Lord, I was just trying my best for you. And he said, hey, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm telling you, that's going to echo forever and forever and forever. And that reward he gives you is never going to rust. It's never going to fade. The shine on your title is never going to go away. Does your heart want to hear him say, well done? Or do you prefer the praise of a world that crucified your Savior? You trade all that for a world that hung him on a cross. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I'm just going to read it again. I just want to see it again. I know you probably got it memorized, but I just want to see it again. And Stephen, is Stephen in here today? If you want to maybe get a song, 2 Timothy 4, verse number 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We've got a little space here, people. Will you take some time today, Christian, to think about the praise of God that's waiting for you? It's laid up for you there. Are you ready for it? Are you waiting for it? Soldiers! Do you want to hear, well won? Runners! Do you want to hear, well run? Christians! Do you want to hear, well done? You lost your perspective? Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. It's for you. But if you lose your perspective, you're going to forget your purpose. You're going to lose that passion, and you will never hear the praise of God. Let that not be you today. Let's, let's stand together if we could, and let's uh, have a word of prayer together. Let's stand together. Musicians, you can come.